Good evening, everybody. Don't you love having sound systems? I said it last year, and I'll say it again this year. If I had it to do over again, I'd put one of these in my house when we had those six kids. I'd have, I'd have had a sound system. I, I wouldn't have yelled near as much. I'd just talk real loud. Get down here. <laughs> okay, now listen to what we're going to do. We're not going to abuse your time. God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I open up every seminar saying the same thing. Somewhere tonight, somebody's doing better than us. So, somewhere, somebody's doing better. Uh, mentally, spiritually, physically, financially, socially, somebody's doing better. And usually, the reason they are is because they know something we don't know. That's why the Word of God is packed from beginning to end about commands to study and meditate on the Word of God, that the quality of our life is based on what we know in the Word of God. Now, when I, uh, when I first got saved in Spirit-filled, I was just thrilled because I've um, been in church all my life but re- never really knew the Word of God. I mean, I feared God. But I don't know the Word of God. So also we just got an incredible hunger for it. We were having Bible studies Friday night in our house, and we couldn't, we couldn't find Joseph. We didn't know yet, but we were hungry. And so we'd have couples come over, and we'd bring sort of a potluck, and we'd just spend all night just going through the Bible, and we'd find a page, and we'd read something. So what do you think that means? I don't know. What do you think that means? I don't know. But we began to realize something that throughout history there had always been believers. And all believers had always gone through challenges, but all believers had gone through challenges, and most of them had overcome incredibly. So I thought, just thinking as an engineering mind, I thought, well, let's go back kind of to the beginning, because uh, I got married for the same reason everybody else did. I fell in love. I saw a beautiful woman, and I want to suck the lips off her face and, you know, just get married. You know, let's just, just do this. And uh, and uh, I shared last year, three months into our marriage, we we we, whew, we got bad. We were hollering and yelling and stuff. And then three years in our marriage, we were ready for a divorce. Because marriage is not something that, that you find. A, a marriage is something that you build. You don't find a church, you build a church. You don't find a business, you build a business. You don't find a country, you build a country. Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, verse 13. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there's a whole lot in that, just the gates of hell means that we are an offensive group of people. We're to go seek and save the lost. Uh, We're to give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty. We're to help orphans. We're to help widows. We're to visit people in prison. We basically are here to fix hell. That's what we do. It's sort of our job. If we're not busy fixing hell, then we're griping about it. Uh, Matthew 5, 9, Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. I'll just pull one part out where he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the children of God. Well, the 60s ruined that word forever. We still don't know what that word really means. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You really don't want to mess with him. It's a great story in him in Revelation. If you look up the definition of a peacemaker, though, in Webster's, the first, first definition you're going to get is a problem solver. Blessed are the problem solvers. What we do is we solve problems. It's our job. We're on a messed up planet. Adam and Eve sinned. When they did, they got fired from their job, evicted from their house. Their kids started killing each other. Satan took over legally. He is the legal, little g, temporary God of this planet, Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. Uh, he's ruling and reigning, and he hates everybody the same. He kills, steals, and destroys, John 10.10. 10. So people say, what's wrong with the planet? Well, the devil's in charge. The thing is, he's not in charge of me. I was taken out of the kingdom of darkness when I was born again, and I was placed in the kingdom of God's dear son. So I don't belong to him anymore. I belong to God. Jesus is my Lord. There are angels camping around about me. God orders my steps, directs my path. God is all true, shows me things to come, talks to me when I go to sleep, talks to me when I get up, if I'm listening. Now, he's talking all the time, but I've got to make sure that I'm willing and obedient. Then eat the good of the lamb. So... 
being a, a, a husband and a father, you know, I'm just trying to do what's right. We, I'm just trying to pay bills and make sure the, you know, water faucet's not leaking and the tires don't go flat. And, you know, you got good teeth, you know, you don't have crooked teeth, you know, and you got plenty of shoes to wear. And, you know, we're, we're eating good food and we've got good medical coverage. Well, I'm just trying to do the basic stuff on a planet where I'm really not welcome. Now, I'm behind enemy lines. And so without just getting crazy, you know, I thank God for the local church. I said everywhere I go, the only thing living on this, on this planet is the local church. Everything outside the local church is dying. Two things last forever, the Word of God and the people of God. Everything else is dying. And the devil's in charge. He's a thief because he's the one he's always making fun of churches or ministers or preachers. He'll point out the bad ones. He's not going to point up the good ones because there's lots of them. You just don't hear about those. They don't make CNN or the, you know, 6 o'clock news at night. But God's doing a lot of great things on the planet. Now, what I want to do, this week's really good. It's going to be real simple. Um, I'm just going to sort of lay some groundwork here tonight because when I first started ministering to families and thinking about my own family, like I said, Denise, now, if we hadn't got spirit-filled, you know, we wouldn't be married tonight. It wouldn't have happened. Uh, some crazy spirit-filled Methodist that was my boss I took us to a Bible study. We got filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, it changed our life forever. It didn't make us perfect. But, but we found the ability to do what we've not been able to do before. Just being able to pray in the Spirit was incredible. Like, be able to pray for things you don't know. Pray for your family. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your peace. Pray for favor at work. You know, pray you get the raise and God opens doors of opportunity. And so, man, I'm telling you what, we just, we got after it. wasn't because we were holy. We had need. <laughs> we had tremendous need. So we started praying all the time. We realized we had to get in agreement on some stuff. So here we are in the middle of this. We almost got divorced. Now we're spirit-filled and we're back in church. And we're reading our Bibles. We're having Bible studies. But I still realized we still didn't have a plan for our life. Now, Proverbs 29, 18 says, well, there's no vision the people perish. I didn't know you're supposed to have a vision. I thought you just, you know, my deal was in the South. It was real simple. You get out of high school, you go to the Army, you get out of the Army, you get married, and you wait till you die. Those are the four basic things you're going to do. And I've got three of them already done. I'm just, you know, I'm 22. I'm out of the Army. I'm married. I'm out of high school. I'm just waiting until I die now. I'm just going to have a good time and uh, go fishing and hunting and, you know, just eat a cheeseburger. And the problem is the grill rusted out. And uh, the dryer door wouldn't stay shut. And uh, I put on 52 pounds the first year I was married. And, you know, it just wasn't going like I thought, you know. And, uh, and I realized if I don't start living on purpose, this is not going to happen. And so... Um, the righteous are as bold as a lion, the Bible says. And so I thought, well, I need to go back. And so when I, when I got out of engineering, I was working as an engineer, got on church staff, and they put me in charge of family ministry. I remember I said, now, now what do I do? He said, well, you're, you're the family pastor. I said, well, what do I do? He said, well, you help families. And I said, help them what? Well, whatever they need. Well, what do they need? He said, don't worry, they're going to let you know. Don't worry, they'll tell you. And it didn't take long to realize that there was a lot of need. Everybody half the psalm, half the hymn, half the opinion, and half the need. And I realized something that every time a need would come up, I think, man, I don't know anything about that. I said, well, I'll get back with you in a couple of days. And I'd have to go to my, this is before computers, you know, were that prevalent. So I'd have to get my Strong's Concordance and look up scriptures. God, have you said anything about this? I've never had a sermon on this. You ever say anything? And it didn't take me but about a couple of years to realize God said something about everything. <laughs> and he said a lot about everything. And I realized we're just an ignorant people. We need to be in, in the Word of God, not to be holy. You know, God's already done that for us. You know, when we got born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, it's to grow. It's to grow in the things of God. And I, we got to stay hungry for something. So when I was going through that, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you five habits of highly unsuccessful families because I got this just from teaching parenting for eight and a half years. But uh, before I do, I'm just going to lay out the two, two areas. 
go to Jude and just read this because this is where you kind of got to start. Um, the planet's just messed up. Nobody can understand it. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, we got a big family, Denise and I. Uh, both of our fathers had 12 brothers and sisters, and both of our moms had five brothers and sisters. So if it happens, we're the ones that get called. Now, they make fun of us at family reunions because we're, you know, charismatic, Pentecostal, word of faith, where are you going to call us? And so they giggle at us unless hell lands. Then they don't giggle. They call. And, Joe, can you pray? Can you pray? And so, sure, I pray, you know. And so I had to get kind of, I hate to use the word carnal, but I had to get carnal in how I talked to them because they have no... They have no concept of God, just none. And I realized that God draws the unbeliever out of his goodness. So my goal, I realized early, was not to judge them or preach at them. You ought to be in church and you'd get saved. I'm just going to be good to you. You know, the boss says, if I'm good to you, it's going to mess with you because you know you don't deserve it. You know you made fun of us. And, and so we just started helping family members whenever they'd call. I said, well, we'll be over there in a little bit and we'll sit down and talk with you and see if we can figure this thing out, whether it was marriage or their kids and rebellion or drugs or, you know. So God's got something to say about everything. There's a way to make it work. First Peter 3, God said he wanted you and I to be living the kind of life that makes others ask us about the hope that's in us. So somebody's evidently going to be doing that because he said there were somewhere, might as well be us. Might as well be us. So how does it start? So th- prayer, I prayed twice a day. I prayed it last year before and after every service. Um, Psalm 34, verse 11. Psalm 3411 says, Come to me, you children, and I will teach you the fear of God. Fear of God's critical. Um, how do you get it? Well, you need to ask for it. You, you know, you don't get it by laying on them hands. It said, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, why is that important? Well, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is critical. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal most important thing, therefore get yourself some. How do I get wisdom? I need to fear God. Also, if you lack wisdom, James says, ask of God, and he'll give it liberally, and that breedeth not. So you ask for it. You know, you fear God. Uh, Proverbs says, if you walk with wise men, you'll be made wise. There's lots of ways of getting it. I can't afford for my kids, I can't afford for me not to be wise. If you go through Proverbs, there are four kinds of people listen to the book of Proverbs. In those 31 chapters, there's wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. Uh, wise people live long. They have wealth. They attain to the big things. They can carry down the wall of a city. It's all real good. They're humble people, you know. But if you're not wise, the Bible says you're simple-minded. Now, the simple-minded aren't an evil people. They're not a mean people. They're an ignorant people. They have no wisdom. That's why the Bible says the simple believe every word they hear. They're gullible. Every time they hear something, they think it's the gospel truth. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? That No. Like they just heard the truth. No, it's not truth. I just made that up. And so simple-minded people, uh, again, they're not evil. They're just they're not wise. But if you stay simple-minded too long, you go, to, you go to the next stage, stage three, which is a fool. You become a fool. It's, it's sport for a fool to make mischief. A, a fool makes fun out of getting in trouble. He likes to steal the stop signs, peel his tires out of a red light, make fun of other people. But the Bible says a fool is like a dog that pukes his guts out and goes back and eats it back. He's not real smart that a fool will spend the rest of his life serving a wise person. He'll never attain to anything. If he gets money, he'll lose it, the Bible says. Well, I, I can't afford to be a fool. If you stay a fool too long, you go to stage four, you become a scorner. A scorner is somebody who makes fun of those who do what's right. A scorner makes fun of everybody. He hates all those in authority. He's in out-and-out rebellion against authority. 
The Bible says, cast out a scorner, strife and contention will cease. Why? Because a scorner is going to get everybody around him in trouble except himself. He'll never get caught because he's a scorner. That's what you classify as a gang leader would be a scorner. He can get everybody else in trouble. He doesn't get caught. His guys get caught. His people get caught. So I realized I want my kids to be wise. So, Father, I give you permission to teach Sarah, Jessica, Corey, Tess, Lauren, John to fear you, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor, Proverbs 3.16. So pray that twice a day. Along with that, I pray Psalm 5.12. It says this, I will surround the righteous with a shield of divine favor. And how do you know you're righteous? Well, if you're born again, Jesus has been made into your righteousness. You are righteous in God's eyes because of God's Son, because you made him the Lord of your life. Therefore, I'm a righteous man. Therefore, since I am, God promised he's going to surround me with divine favor. In whose eyes? Everybody. Your cousins, your neighbors, your husband, your wife, your kids, your dog, your boss, whoever you're dealing with. What do you realize? I walk with divine favor. I'm like Daniel and Joseph and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People like me, and they don't even know why. Why is it? Because I'm believing for divine favor. I need it. And then the third thing is, is godly friends. Because I don't know about you, I don't like getting around people smarter than me. It makes me feel stupid. You ever done that? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17, is iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. If I don't make myself get around smarter people, I'm not going to grow. I'll stay the same. I'll feel good about me, but I won't ever grow. And I can't afford to not grow. I need to grow up. So um, when Denise and I started having kids, kids started coming along. Of course, they're cute when they're born. Everybody shows up, takes pictures, and brings diapers and binkies and dinkies and then they leave. They don't show back up until they get out of high school. So you're sort of on your own, you know. And all of a sudden, like, that cute kid, you're trying to just get to talk and walk, and he starts running everywhere, and you're, you're saying, sit down and shut up. And, and then they get to the point where they don't want to sit down and shut up, and they're just talking back. And you realize something what happened to my nice kid. Well, the Bible says that the spirit of rebellion's in them the day they're born. They've got a sin nature. The first word most kids learn is no. What was the first word they said? No. No. What is that? It's that sin nature. I'm not going to do anything you tell me to do. That's why That's why they need parents. That's why we're to train them up. That's why we're to teach them the word of God. Whom shall we teach the deep doctrines of God to? Isaiah 28, 9 and 10. Those weaned from their mothers, line upon line, precept upon precept. You've got to get to them early. problem is most of us didn't get to them early. We waited. We will wait till they grow up. Now, that's going to be kind of late. I always tell the story that in my church, I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, and they would not allow us to take communion until we were 12. They didn't think we understood. Well, by the time I was 12, I pretty much got my mind made up about God, you know. And, of course, we were excited the day we get to get saved. And I got, I got turned 12 in October, and my best friend Mike Blake turned 12 in October. So we knew this is the Sunday we get to go down and get saved. Because prior to this, once a month when they served communion, you couldn't take communion because you're, you're not legally saved yet. So you're sitting in the church pew. This is before children's ministry and children's church. And then pass the communion thing. You just have to pass it on by. Well, I, well I'm 11. I can't take communion yet. I can't get the grape juice, and I don't get a cracker. I've got to wait till I'm 12. So this is Sunday we turn 12. So I remember they gave the altar call that Sunday, and I remember the feeling I had. Like, I was convicted. Like, what are going to do? I'm going down to get saved. I'm going to get saved. And I had another motive because I grew up watching Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and cowboy movies. A lot of John Wayne before he's famous. And I wanted a shot glass because the only place that had a shot glass was church. I mean, this before Walmart. There was no Walmart. And so and they had real shot glasses, not those sissy plastic things we have now. It was the real deal. And so I knew the day I get saved, they're going to give me communion. They're going to hand me a shot glass full of that grape juice. 
I'm going to go down and get saved on Sunday, and I'm going to steal me that shot glass. That was my goal. And so I remember the I remember I, we had the we had these long tubular lights hung from this big ceiling in the Baptist church there in Hickson. But it's like they were swirling. That sermon, I don't remember half what he said, but I was convicted, like I do not want to go to hell. Do you love Jesus? Don't care a hoot about Jesus. I just don't want to go to hell. I gotta get saved so I won't go to hell. And so I remember I walked down the, I went down when they gave the altar call, me and old Mike Blake, and man, we I was I was crying. I mean, I'm scared, like I don't want to go to hell. And so I went down. Of course, the pastors come down, and your family comes down. They all lay hands on you. And, of course, he leads you through the salvation prayer. And as soon as you pray, everybody's shouting and thanking Jesus. Then they hand you communion. No sissy cracker. They give you a real piece of bread, you know, real bread. And then they hand you a shot glass of that grape juice in it. Well, everybody's so busy thanking God and crying and praying over me. You know, I just ate the bread, took that shot glass, and I just stuck that shot glass in my pocket. So the first thing I did when I got saved is I stole the shot glass. And so I tell people, I still have it. I never did take it back. I kept it all these years just to remind me how important the Word of God is. Because what you don't know, you won't do. And if you don't know it, you'll blame God. And I can always check my own self out where I'm at in my relationship with God. If I'm accusing Him, i got a problem. Because God's not my problem. The devil might be my problem. I might be my problem. But God's not my problem. You know, the Jeremiah 29, you see it in every bookstore, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I have no plans to harm you. I have plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. He wrote that to people going into captivity because of their sin. He wrote that to sinners. I know your day's not going good. I know Nebuchadnezzar's killed your family, burnt down your house, killed your pet goat. But I want you to know I didn't do this to you. You did this to yourself. I have no plans to harm you, thumb-sucking sinners. I got plans to prosper you. Give you future and hope. And it's like, okay, well, then God's good. i got to quit blaming God for stuff and figure out what's going on. So in my engineering mind, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this to you. This is, uh, this is what I did when I first started teaching on parenting. Now, I did this for a class, and I realized, man, i got to get this side of my kids. So I, I, I used to have charts and poster board and stuff, and I drew a planet of the Earth. This is planet Earth, you know, 25,000 miles around. This is a big thing, 8,000 miles across. We're in the, you know, Milky Way galaxy. And, uh, and I try to just kind of put everything in perspective. Now, we know more now than we knew back then when I was teaching my kids. There's, you know, some 96 billion known galaxies. Galaxies, not planets, galaxies. The Milky Way galaxy is just one of 96 billion known galaxies. Uh, our solar system, you know, sits inside this Milky Way galaxy, and uh, here we are on this little planet. Um, you know, the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second. If you could get out here and get your crop to 186,000 miles a second and maintain that speed and not let off the gas, it will take you 100,000 years driving at 186,000 miles a second. It'll take you 100,000 years at that speed just to go from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other. And we're just one of 96 billion known galaxies. It is a really big place. God's a really big God. He's not limited by anything. So when you pray to him, you, I used to go to intercessor prayer, and people always crying in intercessor prayer. I could never, oh, God, oh, Jesus, oh, like, like we're trying to beg him to do something. Like, who are you talking to? You're talking to the creator of the 96 billion galaxy? I want to sit up, clean yourself up, and wipe a smile off your face. He, he could hear you without crying. Now, I understand things that make you cry. I understand it. But it's like, you don't have to do that to impress God. And so here we are on this planet and this galaxy in this solar system and who knows what else is out there but this is this is us this is planet earth this is where we are and i told the kids okay here we are on planet earth we're on this little bubble right here 
this little bitty bubble. There's all kinds of stuff on science day and time and so forth. And I said, you know, uh, atoms, you know, um, uh, they're doing a lot of stuff on nuclear explosion now, again, trying to get the nuclear energy going. If you took the atoms that are in a paper clip, uh, World War II in Hiroshima, when we dropped the atom bomb, that big explosion, you know, we dropped another one, Nagasaki. Basically, what that was was the splitting of an atom. Now, it's not just one atom. Um, it started with one atom. One atom split, which split the another one next to it, which split the... And if you added up all the atoms that are in a paper clip, you ever get a paper clip, just look at it. If you can split all the atoms in that paper clip, the energy stored in those atoms is what we did at Hiroshima that killed all those people, that burnt their face off. We released, we released, we released the power of the atoms in a paper clip. Now, guys in this room tonight, there are so many atoms, we couldn't count them. There's not enough calculators on this planet just to count the atoms and everything that's here. You, me, the carpet, the chair. If the atoms in a paper clip did Hiroshima, imagine when we can split all these just in this room tonight. You know, America disappeared. God is real stinking powerful, real stinking big. When you pray to God, you might want to get a picture of who you're talking to. When you ask him to do something, you might want to get a mental image of who you're asking. Nothing is impossible to God. Jesus came to show us what he said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's the Father like? Like me. What are you doing? I'm healing the sick, feeding the hungry, casting devils out of crazy people. I'm real stinking good. <laughs> you don't have to fill out a form or a piece of paper or a government thing. We don't ask you questions. We don't take blood samples. You ask, you get. God is real stinking good. And if you don't get that settled early in your life, especially as a child, you're going to be blaming God or some other person of God for the rest of your life. That's where all the strife and contention comes from. So realize the most important place I'll ever be in my family is in a church. You know, we got uh, six adult kids, and uh, half of them are married, and uh, they're all in church, spirit-filled, all volunteer. They all pay their tithes, and I don't make them. But I did teach them early. Uh, man, they lived with us, and we were poor, poor. I mean, they, they know it was like we didn't have anything. What are you doing? Believe in God? If you're believing God, where's it at? Well, I'm believing God for it. I'm working hard. I'm believing God. I'm saving money. I'm believing for favorite work. I'm believing God for a raise. I remember when I had three minimum wage jobs at the same time. What are you trying to do? Pay my bills. Feed my kids, you know, put some food on the table, put some gas in the truck. What are you doing? I'm believing God. Well, if you believe in God, where's he at? Well, he's right where he's always been. He's sitting in the throne in heaven. There's a laser light show going on. There's angels around him. What's going on? There's a thief called the devil, and I'm on his planet. He's trying to steal from me. He's trying to mess with me every time I move. He's messing with me. You'll never get to the point where the devil's not making a run at you. I mean, Jesus never sinned once, and the devil messed with him every day. Tried to shove him off a cliff, throw rocks at him. What'd you do so wrong? Nothing. You know they're plotting to kill you. What did you do so wrong? Nothing. I gave a guy's hand back to him. It just made some people mad. And so all of a sudden, I realized early in my kid's life, you better learn who you are in him, in whom, and in Christ. Didn't make you a saint. You came. You came a Satan. You got saved. Christ made you who you are. You know it was a gift. What God would like you to do now is grow up. He'd like you to hang out with them. You know, remember you read the book of Acts, we perceive that these ignorant and unlearned men have been with Jesus. <laughs> Who are these ignorant men? I don't know, man. They're not normal. They must have been with Jesus. Go, well, there's stuff happening around them. And so people can tell when we've been hanging out with the Lord or not. That's why God made us for fellowship. He loves to hang with us all the time. You know, it's like, come on. 
run boldly to the throne of grace, get mercy and help in time of need. And so I realize the devil starts early. All you got to do is just read the newspaper, what's going on with our youth in America. Well, all those youth have parents somewhere, whether they're married, not married, somewhere got parents. What was your job? Well, you're supposed to train them up in the way they should go. You're to teach them the word of God. When they get up, walk by the way, sit down, lie down, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Psalm 78, you're to teach your children to the fifth generation. Why? They might have hope in God. Why do they need hope? Because they're on a hell-bound planet. You've got enemies. What would you do, strong? Nothing. You were just born. But you were destined to be an overcomer and more than a conqueror. And so I've told my kids, failure is not an option. There'll be no thumb-sucking excuse when you get to the pearly gate. <laughs> you know, God gave you all things that pertain to the life of God. If you're not using that's your fault. Well, life is just hard. Sure it is. Would you, you mean give me some chapters and verses on that? The tests and trials of life come to everybody. But you are destined to overcome whatever's coming at you. So it doesn't matter whatever happens. You need to know, I don't know what this is, but there's a way out. God has already prepared a way out of the situation. He's going to work all things out to my good. I'm going to sleep sweet tonight. He gives his beloved sweet sleep. And all of a sudden you start getting that in you. It doesn't matter whether your kid's a first-chair flute or a straight-A student. They're going to know something. What is it? I'm destined for greatness. I am destined for greatness. God said so, and God doesn't lie. So when we go through all that, and I put that in the kids, I had to go build that. Let me tell you where you're at now. So I'll give you four sections of scriptures here. This first is in Jude. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm just going to jump into verse 14. In the book of Jude, it says, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. Now, the these people he's talking about are the people that are alive on our planet right now that hate God. You know, when I was in public school in the first grade, we had not invented kindergarten yet. It was just first grade. Uh, we read the Bible, said a prayer, and pledged allegiance to the flag every day in public school. First grade. Every day. Second grade. Third grade. Don't be asked if you're a Christian. If you're not, you better pray because the rest of us are praying. We didn't even ask the teachers were Christian. You assume they were. I grew up in our community. You're a Christian. You go to church somewhere. You know. When I was in the fifth grade, they passed a law that said that might be dangerous for us. <laughs> and they don't allow us to pray and read our Bible. We still pledge at least the flag. And then they started messing with that. He said, uh, <clears throat> I prophesied about these people, people that are not saved, people on the planet. He said, now listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, that's a lot of stuff. These people, who are these people? These people. These people are grumblers and complainers. He's talking about people that grumble and complain. Yeah, listen, I only deal with Christians. I don't deal very much with unbelievers unless I'm sitting next to them on an airplane or somewhere in the airport. Everybody I'm hanging with most times is a believer. We do about 80 seminars a year in churches. Now, there are all kinds of churches, but... They're believers. It says, well, I hear people, and these people, these people are grumblers and complainers. Are they thanking God? Are they praising God? Are they believing God? No, they're thumb-sucking about everything. Nothing good ever works for me. I've never had a break. God never helped me. No one's ever loved me. My daddy didn't love me, and my mommy didn't love me, and the coach didn't play me, and the teacher wouldn't help me, and, and my dog bit me, and my wife left me. Everybody's got a sad song. Everybody has the psalm, half the hymn, half a sad song. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. Now, what are they living for? Them. Who are you living for? Me. 
I, me, 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 I, and me. Hmm, interesting. They brag loudly about themselves. If you don't know what they're doing, they're about to tell you. You get in a conversation with them, they're not going to ask you how you're doing. They're going to tell you how they're doing, where they've been, what they've done, and what they've accomplished. said um, the, they flatter others to get what they want. They're not complimenting. They want something out of it. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose, whose sole purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. Who are they living for? Me. I've never just been ceased to be amazed whether it's, um, I used to fly Southwest Airlines where, uh, you know, it's you, you, Southwest, you fly with them, it's just whoever lines up first. They don't give you a seat assignment. But I'm telling you about getting knocked down. Not always pay the extra nineteen dollars getting that first thirty. It's just worth a twenty dollar bill to him and not have to wrestle with them. And I've watched people get in front of older people and elderly people and old ladies. I mean, it's like God's briefcase like, Who are you? Who is your mother? Did your mother not teach you to respect other people? Who are you? And you realize most humans have a sin nature. Well, all humans have a sin nature. It's just most of them that get saved. What are they doing? Living out their own life. I mean, we th- I'm thinking about me. Where I got to go? What I got to do? What, what's happening with me? It's like, man, that's just a, it's amazing. I've got more free tickets. I'm saying, can you take the next flight? Sure, for a $400 voucher, I'd love taking the next flight. Let them on. Praise God. You're going to buy me lunch and I get a $400 voucher? I'll wait two flights. <laughs> it's just crazy. Anyhow, I know sometimes you can't do that, but. These are the people who are creating, these are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. They're not born again. But you, dear friends, must build each other up on your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. This way you will keep yourself safe in God's love. Now I'm going to give you three things that says it better than the King James actually. Says these people are grumblers, complainers, backbiters, braggadocious people. Said you, you don't do that. You need to build up yourself on your most holy faith. Well, we all know faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Can't have a day you're not reading your Bible because that means you're leaking out because you're using your faith up every day. That's why the Bible talks about great faith, little faith, weak faith, no faith. Without faith, I don't please God. Without faith, I don't with the devil. I can't afford to not have faith. I got to be believing because every day we're having to deal with stuff. I was sharing with pastors; it's been a busy year since we left here last June. Um, I was telling us how my mama just got arrested. She's eighty years old. She just got arrested. Uh, she'd been diagnosed with dementia three years earlier, and it had never been a problem. All of a sudden, one full moon night, she went looping, went for a walk down the road, and fell in a ditch about a mile and a half from the house. And the neighbors thought somebody's trying to break into the house, so they called the police, who happened to be a cousin, thank God, that, that arrested her. And, uh, and I just got to Wisconsin about 2 o'clock in the morning. And, say, and so I said, like, Joe, Joe. And I said, what is it? What, Frank, what is it? I said, man, so I said, so you awake? He said, no, man, I just never got here. My flight got canceled in Chicago. He said, well, I, need you, I, I, I got your mother in the car. Now, we're a, we're a rowdy family. We, we make fun of stuff we shouldn't make fun of. We're just, you know, we were so poor, we just laughed at everything. So we laugh at stuff we probably shouldn't laugh at. So Frank's, met, I said, Frank's not funny. I've got to get some sleep. He said, no, no, really, I got your mother in the backseat of the car. Here, talk to her. And so all of a sudden I heard, son? I said, Mom? I said, hand the phone back to Frank. You know, I'm like, what are you doing? I said, well, I don't know. She's down here and fell in the ditch. She's about a mile and a half from the house. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I think there's something wrong with her. And so I said, well, take her back home. And I can't. I've already booked her. I've got to take her in. We've got to take her picture. You know? <laughs> so anyhow, we, we left here last year to go down and just see what was wrong. Everything seemed fine because she was good about 95% of the time. But 
Uh, I've been living in Chattanooga since last June. Now I go home about once a month, fly home just to do stuff around the house, put some shingles back on, mow some grass. But uh, taking care of my mom, you know, my, my wife had just got home after taking care of her parents for two years, both of them went home to be with Jesus. You know, the Bible says parents lay up for the children, children lay up for the parents. Almost everybody I went to high school with is retiring. You know, they're retiring early, you know, I'm trying to retire, you know. Well, we just opened up another office in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, got two offices now because ministry's growing. We're trying to reach more people, do more things. And so here I got a, got, a, got my first grandbaby coming in three weeks. You know, got another daughter just got married, and uh, we just we were busy. It's like, what's going on? Well, our parents. Well, man, they sure could have scheduled this better. Well, you know, hell never makes an appointment. It just shows up. And so, you know, we were just getting ready to move to Franklin, Tennessee. It's like, we hadn't moved. We've been living in Chattanooga. And so visiting doctors and neurologists and oncologists and, you know, everything. I just Because mom had been healed of cancer twice, so we got to kind of stay on top of that. And, and uh, just trying, what is it? I, don't, I never heard of dementia. I don't even know what Alzheimer's is. I've heard of it and didn't have it in my family. Well, I got it now. And so mom had it and like, well, what do we do? Well, we can't leave her alone. We can't leave her alone. She's fine. No, she's not. Because all of a sudden, it's like flipping a switch. She'll go whack. She'll just wander down the road again. Like, oh, my goodness. What are we going to So I had to put special locks on the door and alarms that would go off. So if she did go at it, wake me up. I could go get her. Come back in, Mom. It's dark. It's dark. <laughs> and so we've had a real uh, intense relationship the last year. And so, you know, people said, you believe in healing? Yes, I do. Born again, spirit filled. Believe in laying hands on the sick, casting out devils? Sure do. You believe if your mother's healing with ever fire within me because this cost me time and money, like big time. I mean, I don't. I want her healed for other than just spiritual reasons. I need, for financial reasons, I need her healed really bad, you know. And so, uh, but I realize you can't put on somebody else what they can't receive for themselves. You know, Jesus went to his hometown, could do no mighty works. They didn't believe. Like, so what are you doing? I'm believing wherever she's at. And I'll ask, Mom, what are you believing for? What can we do? What are we believing for? Well, son, I'm just trying to get back to normal. Well, bless God, let's do that. I said, but, you know, I can't stay here forever. I got, I got stuff I got to do. I'm not retired yet. I got a real busy schedule. And said, you know, my sister, her daughter had passed away, so it's just me. I said, you want to move to Oklahoma? No. I said, okay, that took care of that then. You're not moving to Oklahoma. Stay right here. And then the, we got to get somebody to take care of you. And so we looked at a living nurse and stuff. So I was telling Pastor, we're paying about 4700 a month right now. And uh, a living nurse is 9000 a month because you gotta, you know, got to have three of them, eight-hour shifts. And those sometimes are not the best quality people. It's like, oh, not good. So we had to visit all kinds of facilities, talk to doctors, you know, talk to lawyers, talk to accountants. What can we do? What are our options here? He said, well, it's up to you. You're going to have to, this is what it's going to cost you. I said, well, the Bible says that children lay up for their parents. So there's not much of an option. It's my job. And you've got to get to a point where if you don't know the word of God, your flesh will mess with you. You got to know what is this? Well, it's the will of God. I take care of her. Well, you know what's going to cost me? It really doesn't matter. It's in the Bible. It is my job. If it's my job, God will supply my need. I got need. <laughs> you understand? Like, I just got to jump in. What do you have? I got nothing right now except my savings account. We're getting ready to drain that. So, so I tell everybody we wrote checks. You know, September, October, November, December, January, February, March, uh, April, May. This month, we finally got. We've been trying to apply for the insurance because she had long-term health care. Well, you got to jump through hoops and you got to do surveys. They got to watch you three months. They got to send their own doctors. Like, good God! I mean, I hope we're still going to be alive by the time this thing shows up. Well, the first check just showed up. Like, well, Merry Christmas and ho ho ho. And so, 
And Peter said, what are, you, what are you doing? I'm trying to make a point here. What do you do? Well, I'm, I'm fixing stuff that's not working. Jesus, what did you do yesterday? Well, it was a busy day, son. Well, like, what did you do? Well, uh, well, I went walking on the water to my staff. They had left without me, and I walked on the water out there to get them, and that kind of messed them up, you know. And then I raised that dead kid at the funeral, and that sure got everybody all bent out of shape, you know. And cast the devil out of a crazy guy, but he's okay now. And there were 5,000 Happy Meals out on the hillside. It was an exciting day. Mostly, I went from point A to point B fixing stuff that was busted. What are you doing here, Jesus? I heal the sick, I cast out devils, I preach the good news, I fix busted stuff. The things I do, you'll do. The minute you start griping about anything you're having to deal with right now, hell's going to show up with life and death and the power of the tongue. If God has supplied all your need, I don't care if what just showed up in your life you didn't see coming, God promised to meet that need. So what are you going to do? Everything that I can. What can you do? Well, I can do this. Can you do that? Nope, but I can do this. And all of a sudden you... Sh- you put your hand on it. It's like the, it's like the priest. You know, God told him to cross the Jordan. He said, well, you can't. The water's running too high. God said, put your foot on it, and I'll part it. He said, no, you part it, and we'll put our foot on it. He said, no, you got this backward faith that works is dead. Put your foot on it, then I'll part it. And, of course, he did. And so I've learned a lot. I thought I knew something because I'm an ordained minister. I thought I knew it. But the last year, what do you realize? I've got to step out constantly. Now, God showed up, and it's been good. But not in the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning, you step out and you think you were stepping out into hell and three more hell showed up. Hey, y'all got cousins. We got a lot of hell showing up. You know, you didn't know. You thought it was bad. You thought, oh, it's really bad. Like, whoa, praise God, you know. And you realize, I'm here by divine appointment. I've been born for such a time as this. What are you going to do? Fix stuff. And then all of a sudden, my son-in-law decided, you know, to move back to Tulsa and finish his degree up, which I was glad he did. I've been praying he would be. He picked an odd time to do it because I'm not there, which kind of worked out good because you used to go to my house. You know, you can stay in my house. You don't have to rent an apartment and stay in my house. And, and every time you thought, oh, my God, now what? Well, praise God. Praise God. We've been believing for this. It did not right now, but praise God. We have been believing for this. Praise God. God answers prayer at the wackiest time. Thank you, Jesus. Come on by. And then, you know, then his car tore up, and so he, he got to drive mine. And, <laughs> praise God. And he tore that one up, and now it's parked in my driveway. Praise God. That, I, that, I knew it was going bad, and I knew it was. I'm sorry you were driving it when it did, and we get you the other car. You can drive that one now. Said, that one's got a lot of miles on it, so just be real careful and don't speed in it. And like... And every day, you get to fix something. Because people say, you that word of faith, you that word of faith. Somebody wrote me an email. I just preached the big seminar up in Allentown. You that word of faith. I said, I don't call myself that, but I think I understand what you're saying. I do believe the word of God. You believe you get what you say? I said, yeah, that's how I got saved. I believe something. I said something. It's Romans 10, 9 and 10. I believed it. I said it. I got saved. It's how I got saved. You believe that works? Yeah. I'm not Tinkerbell. It's not a magic wand. Some things I said for 20 years where they showed up. <laughs> Some things I said for eight years where they showed up. I'm not Tinkerbell. I just believe the Word of God. What if it's not working? I just keep saying it until God tells me something different. I'm his sheep. He's my shepherd. I hear his voice, the voice of a stranger. I will not follow. Now, I'm talking about family tonight because family does not go away. <laughs> They're permanent. Oh, dear God, I got you forever. I can't take you back to Walmart and exchange you for something better. I am stuck with you. And so you realize what you're going to do, either gripe about it, cuss about it, or it's like, no, I think we'll just work on fixing this. I think we'll just, um, we're going to become a problem solver. We're going to fix this. How? Well, we'll start with where we are. We'll just believe God where we are. So, yeah, my mom's doing great tonight, and I uh, talked to her today, and uh, she's in a happy mood, and everything's good. She wanted to go home so bad for about 
about five months, but she's finally settled in, met new people. She's living like a hermit, I guess. And so God's working all things out there good. I told Pastor, she's doing good about 85% of the time, about 15% of the time. She'll just say something loopy like, all right. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Praise God. <laughs> she's introduced me as her cousin, her husband. I've been everybody but her son. So I just smile. Nice to meet you. And, uh, and, and I'm, when I'm thinking, it's like the reason I'm so glad I got born again in the Spirit filled and I got in the Word of God is because you get to believe God every day. The Bible doesn't have all the stories. It said if everything that was written, even in Jesus' lifetime, if it had been written down, there are none of the books on this planet to write it down. So when you read a story about David or Jephthah or Joseph, you can, you can breeze through it in maybe five minutes, maybe three. Well, it took years. You, you understand? It took years for that to happen. You know, Isaac got married. God told me, see, by like the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea. They married for 20 years. That woman hadn't had a baby yet. So finally, in Genesis 25, he starts praying, you know. He said, what's he praying for? That she'll have a baby. Well, hadn't he prayed before? Evidently not, because that's where it's recorded that he prayed. Well, evidently, after he prayed, she got pregnant with twins, so he must have prayed too long. <laughs> like, if it's God's will that my wife have a baby, how come we're not having one? Because you have to pray it to pass. Pr- prayer's not a... Um, Prayer is not a religious thing, I said last year. It's a legal thing. You have not because you ask not. But if you don't know the Word of God, you don't even know what to ask for. So I realize I'm trying to teach my kids, here we are on an alien planet in the last days when God's Spirit's poured out without measure. We've been here, put here by divine appointment. We have gifts and things in us that people need. Your job is to find out who you are in Christ, find out what you're good at, get really good at it, and spend the rest of your life serving your fellow man. Whether you're a plumber, electrician, a seamstress, I don't care what you are. What are you going to do with your gift? Serve your fellow man. And do it really, really good. Make them want to come back to you because you did such quality work. So we got Jude here, and you realize, what's going on? Well, there's a lot of scorners and scoffers, and people are mean and mad. Then in Second Timothy, this is the one I always quote. This is the scary one. Second Timothy chapter 3. I'll just jump in at verse 1. Second Timothy 3, verse 1. Again, all these are New Living Translation. So Paul's writing his son in the faith. And he says this in verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, now that's what we were talking about in June, last days, scoffers, scorners, backbiters, thumbsuckers. You should know that in the last days, there'll be very difficult times. Well, that's what fills up six 24-hour news channels. And they don't report anything good. People don't watch good. People like to watch hell. So that's why there's bad stuff going on. The very difficult times for people will love only themselves. Oh, my goodness, I think we just read that. Didn't we just read that in June? Who do you love? Me. Mm, interesting. They'll love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud. I think we just read that. Scoffing at God. We just read that. Disobedient to their parents. <laughs> Kids are disobedient to their parents. That's demonic. That's that old sin nature. What is that? I ain't doing nothing. I'm letting them out of here. Bless your little egg in your heart. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that tomorrow night. Disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Mm. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They'll hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless, puffed up with pride. Oh, my goodness. Have you met anybody like that? They'll love pleasures more than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power, you know, the Holy Ghost, that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. <laughs> That's a bold statement. The reason it says stay away, you'll become like who you hang around. Now, we want to help you if you're thirsty or if you're hungry, but we're not going to spend spare time with you because you're going to become like that. Now look back at Matthew. 
give you this uh, Matthew, Jesus time. I'm kind of working it from the back. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. I'm going to jump in here, uh, verse 3, about halfway through. Uh, well, let's just start with the verse, verse 3. Uh, Later, Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What things? Things in the last days. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? It's going to be happening in the last days. Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah. They will declare, they will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Now, I'm not trying to read something depressing late at night. I'm just trying to tell you we live on a messed up planet. So don't ever get bent out of shape. Well, what is going on? It's the last days. God told us about it in several places. What's going on? People are selfish. What do they need? They need the love of God. In love, um, love's the most powerful four-letter word in the universe. You tell somebody I love you, it's going to cost you everything. Love's an expensive word. It costs God everything to love us. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only begotten son to love us. So what's our job? Love sinners. When? When they don't deserve it. And smile at them real big, not judge them, just love on them. Well, bless your heart. How can I help you? Well, you want to help me? Well, I just feel like it. Evidently, <laughs> you need it. You're looking kind of rough right now. Luke 17, I'll give you this one. This is the fourth, and I like this. Uh, Luke 17. Uh, I'll jump in at verse 26. Jesus is speaking again. He said, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be, it was, uh, will be as it is in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom, then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, what Jesus keeps saying is, guys, there's going to be messed up stuff, but don't let that bother you. I don't care what's going on in the world. I'm in the world. I'm not of the world. I told my kids, that's why you need to be born again, spirit-filled, and meditating the Word of God, because... 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Now, I just read about four nasty scriptures. In the last days, there's going to be some messed up people, some messed up planet. What about me? Well, 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper, where? In a messed up world. And be in health, where? In a place where hospitals are packed, even as your soul prospers. Now, this is real important. My prosperity and my health are tied to what I believe, my soul. How, where's my prosperity and health come from? My soul, what I believe. As a man believes his heart, so is he. So if what I believe is what I feed on, what I see with these eyes, what I listen. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. It's important what you feed on. Now, I'm just telling you, you just got to guard. You're just like, you can see all kinds of dumb stuff, but you can't meditate on Well, no, I'm not meditating. I'm going to meditate on this. This is what God says. Uh, Joshua 1, verse 8, and everybody knows this. We've quoted this for years. Uh, every Christian bookstore has got this. It's the same passage, uh, Joshua 1, 8, and then Psalm 1, 1 through 3. 
If you meditate in the word day and night, then you'll prosper and have good success. And then Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. What wicked? Jude, 2 Timothy 3, Matthew 24, Luke 17. Oh, the joys who do not follow the advice of the wicked. That means the wicked are going to be everywhere all the time talking to you. What are you doing? Why are you going to church, man? You know, they're just trying to get your money. And you know what they're doing down there? That's just for weak people and people don't know who they are. I'll tell you, they're going to come mouthing at you. Don't follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Now, mockers are scorner. That's that last stage of the Proverbs 1. Same word. But they delight in the law of the Lord. Who does? Joyful people. How do you get joy? They're in the word of God. Why? God's going to work all things out for my good. Surround me, show divine favor. got so many angels around me. I can't even count all of them. God's going to talk to me when I go to sleep, when I wake up and walk your day. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm blessed and highly favored. How do I know that? Well, I'm hanging out in the church. Got me a pastor, fellowship with believers. I repent and forgive every day. I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where? On a messed up planet. <laughs> he says this, These people that meditate in the Word day and night are like trees planted along a river bank, bearing fruit in each season. What season? Each season. Which season? Every season. Well, it's just a hard season. No, I don't care what kind of season it is. I'm blessed. You're blessed. We're all blessed. Doesn't matter what's going on. Bearing fruit in each season, their leaves will never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Everybody say prosper. Come on. Everybody say prosper. prosper. In, all in all I do. I do. Well, God promised that. So, Jude, 2 Timothy, Matthew 24, Luke 17, it's a messed up planet. Why? People are selfish. They're not born again. They were born with a sin nature. They need to get saved. They need to get born again. They need to find Jesus, get filled with the Holy Ghost. They need to get in the Word of God, fellowship with the saints. Don't make you holy. You get born again. You're holy when you get born again. My name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm going to heaven. What I, that was simple, to be honest with you, because somebody prayed me in, people witnessed to me, somebody was interceding for me for years. I finally gave my heart to Jesus, but now i got to do something. i, I got to meditate in the Word day and night. Somebody else prayed me in. Somebody else witnessed to me. Somebody told me about Jesus, but once you get in, you got to grow up on your own. you got to grow up. I need to meditate on the word day and night. I, I need to do that. Nobody's going to make me do that. Nobody's going to come to my house. Oh, you need to read your Bible. I'm either choosing to do that or I'm not going to do that. If I do that, I'm going to be blessed. It didn't say I went and go through tests and trials. I said, I'm really thankful we finally found a good neurologist. You know, I, didn't even, I couldn't even spell neurologist. You know, and you're meeting them, and they're just talking over your head. It's like, can you get down some common language here of what we're dealing with? Because I really love my mom, and she'd answer all the right questions. I always did. Like, her blood pressure's perfect. Her blood sugar's perfect. She is one healthy 81-year-old woman. She's a strapping. She whip you. <laughs> Fixes her hair, got her makeup on. It's just every now and then in her mind, there's a part of her brain where the wires are disconnected. What are you believing for? I'm believing for some reconnect. Creative miracle. But in the meantime, we've got to make sure she's safe and that she's eating good and that she's healthy and that she's around other people. It's like, so what are you doing? I'm a problem-solving machine. So I'm asking a thousand questions. Did you ever think you'd have to do this? Nope. Wasn't on my radar. Didn't have it on my 10-year plan. Wasn't on my top 100 things to do. But it moved to the top of the list when my mom got arrested. You know, my wife had just got home after two years with her parents. Like, fine, we get to play kissy face and come back to the house. Like, whoop, nope, no more. Got to go and do this now. And then you think, well, how long? You know, how long? Well, until it's fixed. It's like you can't put it on the calendar. Well, how long are you going to be? Because I think, like I said, my wife will hopefully be coming home. She was supposed to come home today, but she's going to have to wait till Sunday or Monday to come home. I'm going to go in and take her place. 
and then uh, I'll go home, and then every two weeks until Jesus comes, I'll fly in and stay for a week with my mom. You know, just, I mean, I'm not at where she's at. I'm a half mile away, and I go visit with her. We go to lunch, take her on field trips, you know, and we do it. Well, I'm hanging out with my mom. What about your kids? Well, I'll see them when I get to Tulsa when I'm not preaching. You know what it's made me do? I've got to get real effective at what I do. I realized I had a whole, <laughs> I thought I was so good. You ever think you're good at something? You get, I'm real good. Shoot, yeah, I'm good at what I do. I'm real, I'm real good. I'm good at it. Yeah, I can tell you, I've got numbers. I can show you. All of a sudden, you add a couple extra you know, rocks to the wheelbarrow. It's like, whoa, whoa, I'm not so good. <laughs> I thought I was good. I'm not good at all. My God, I'm getting bad. You know? And you realize, I'm not grown. I've still got to grow. It'll keep you humble. But I'm so thankful it's, it's helped us find God. Now, here's what I'm going to do in close. I'm going to give you this. This is, uh, this is old. This years ago. Uh, gosh, intercession prayer years ago. And uh, these are the original, these, the original notes, the handwritten notes that I did. And uh, I thought, you know, because uh, I love my family, but that's when we first started teaching on parenting. I was going to go to the parenting class. I realized we need a class on parenting. I told my pastor. He said, yes, we do. He said, find somebody. Well, I looked for three months. We had a church of 3,000 people. Sure, there's somebody here teach on parenting. After three months, nobody would do it. They kept saying, no, we're not doing it, no. You teach a class on parenting Sunday night at 5 o'clock? No. Uh-uh. No. Really? Man, we should just, you don't have to do anything. Just sit there from 5 to 5.50 and let us ask you questions. You've got great kids. We just want to know what you did. No, no, uh-uh. I couldn't figure out why, and I finally started asking them why. Here's what they said. I said, why don't you teach a class on parenting? You, you seem real faithful here. You're a tither. You've been going here a long time. He said, because I love my church. Well, then why don't you teach your church about parenting? Because I love my church, and I don't have to leave it. What? I'll tell you what's going to happen. I start teaching on parenting. My kids are going to go stupid. I'm going to get embarrassed. We'll have to leave our church, and I don't leave my church. So you wait till my kids get out of my house and leave home, move out of the state, then I'll come teach you something on parenting, but not while my kids are in my home. I'm not making that up. I'm not making it. That's what they said. I said, oh, my goodness. So finally, Pastor said, you're going to have to do it. I said, no, no. No, I'm not doing it. I'm going to the class. i got two kids. I've already messed them up. I'm going to the class. You know, <laughs> no, you're going to do it. I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. It was one of the greatest things in my life. Eight and a half years of teaching parenting. What did you teach? I taught what I didn't know. If I didn't know, because I was in charge of the curriculum, what, are you gonna, what 48 classes are you going to have this year? 48 things I want to learn? I don't know. You know, I want to know where my kids' kids, where my kids' friends come from. I want to know, you know, why they act and rebellion. I want to know how to get them into college without, you know, writing forty thousand checks. I, there's just certain things I want to know. I want to know how to teach them about sex so they don't get sexual promiscuous too early, and then they, they wait till they get married. And I, I got things I want to teach them. How are you gonna do it? I'm gonna learn about it, and I'm gonna have a class on it. I'm gonna learn while I teach. And people would come up, well, that was great. I know, wasn't that something? <laughs> something. Man, that's uh, they think I knew it my whole life. I just learned it today myself. Praise God, I took notes. <laughs> So this came sort of out of that. So these, and dealing with families for 20 years, this is what I've seen on a regular basis. It's real simple. I just got one scripture, each one. Uh, five habits that always seem to show up when you're dealing with families. Uh, number one, I call this the five habits of unsuccessful families. Number one is a malnourished soul. This is critical. I've been talking about it all night. Third John 2, I wish above all things that you would prosper, be in health as your soul prospers. You're unsuccessful because you know what the Word of God says about family. For example, um, when I was here last year, I taught all men have three job descriptions. A man is a lover, a leader, and a provider, whether you're saved or not saved. My job is to love my wife like Christ loved me, Ephesians 5.25. I have no option. How are you going to love her? I'm going to love her like Christ loved me. Christ loved me when I was not lovable. What else are you going to do? Well, I've got to lead my family. I've got to get out front. Men hate getting out front because we hate looking stupid. 
First Corinthians eleven three said, "As God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the man, man's the head of the woman, woman's over the children, children's over <laughs> the dog, dog's over the cat, cat's over the mouse, mouse over the cheese, cheese over the cracker." Is a pecking order in the kingdom of God, except except that where there's not boss, it's source. God is the source of Christ. Christ is the source. He's my source. Jesus won't make me do anything. Jesus turns to the man and says, man, without me, you cannot do anything, but with me, all things are possible. He won't make me do anything, but he'll be my source if I will let him. A man's turning to his wife and says, honey, what do you need? I'm either going to write a check for it or start believing God for it. I'm not your boss. I'm your source. A mother's the source of her children to feed and clothe and make sure they're protected and doing good. It's a different mindset. So realize a malnourished soul, if I don't know who I am, Okay, now I'm going to violate pretty much everything I've just said here, just one statement. Let me just try to balance this out. It sounds opposite, but it's not. The two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. The second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved you. And then it says, husbands, love your wife as you love your own flesh. For no man yet hates his flesh, but nourishes it. I'm to love my wife as I love me. I'm to love my neighbors as I love me. Well, what if I don't love me? My neighbor's in trouble. My wife's in deep trouble. I cannot give away something I've not received. Um, there's only one source of love in the universe, and that's God. If you've never received God, you can't love. You can say the words, but you won't do it. Love's an expensive four-letter word. You've got to have God to love like God loves. So I realize the malnourished souls, first thing I do is make sure I know who I am. If I had to do it over again, I'd tell people. Now, I don't do a lot of weddings anymore. I used to do a lot because I knew a lot of people and all my family, and I stopped. I will only marry you if I can take you through six weeks of pre-marriage, or six months of pre-marriage counseling. I said, now, I'll come to your wedding. I'll buy you a present. I'll eat cake, and I'll throw rice at you. I love you, but I will not marry you unless I can take you through six months of pre-marriage counseling because I've seen too many people I married bust up because you weren't in love. You were in lust. You don't have a clue what... Love's an expensive word. This is the second greatest decision outside of getting saved. The Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing, obtains favor of the Lord. This is the second greatest thing ever made was marriage. It's a powerful thing. Two are better than one. You, know, you just start spitting scriptures. I said, so, I so if they say yes, and what I do is I make them see me one night a month, one night for about two hours. You're going to read six books, do six book reports. Uh, the last month, you're going to come in. I'm not going to keep you more than 30 minutes. And I, I told you last year I gave him a blank piece of paper. Okay, it's our last night of counseling. The wedding's about two weeks away. Here's what we're going to do tonight. Take a blank piece of paper. Sir, you get a piece. Ma'am, you get a piece. Here's a pencil. I want you to write this down. Marriage is hard work. Write that down. And they giggle because I'm funny a lot, and I think I'm joking. I said, I'm serious. Write it down. Marriage is hard work. Got that? Yeah, and they're giggling. That's okay. Number two, writing something else. We're going to write 50 things. Number two, marriage is hard work. We already wrote that. I know it. Write it again. Marriage is hard work. You're kidding. <laughs> Number three, are we writing this again? You're going to write it 50 times. Just keep writing. Marriage is hard work. You write it 50 times in front of them. Well, they're not laughing by the time they finish writing it. I said, sir, you fold that up and put that in your billfold. Ma'am, you fold that up and put it in your purse. And for the next five years of your life, you get up every day, you pull that piece of paper out, and you read it. And if you'll that piece of paper out and you'll read it five years from now, you're going to write me a check, buy me a steak dinner because I just saved your marriage. Because if you don't work at this, it's not going to last. People got married thinking it was the end. I'm finally married. <laughs> no, you just started. <laughs> Dear Lord, if people get saved, thank God I came out of the world and I got saved. Yes, you did. Welcome to the family. <laughs> Put your apron on. We're about to go to work. And so they, they just don't have a sort of a misconception. So I go back to the soul thing like, 
Read your Bible, get in church, and hang out with believers. Because if you're not growing, the rest of it's not going to make it. And you know who you are. So I'd go back and I'd tell parents, uh, and they bring their kids in for me to counsel for, for marriage, pre-marriage, because these are people I know. I said, if you don't know who you are in him, in whom in Christ, you're going to kill your spouse mentally. You're going to suck the life out of them because you don't know who you are. You don't have a source. You think that's the greatest thing you've ever had. Mr. G, we're so in love. We're so in love. Said, no, you're not. No, you're Twitter paid to trust me. It's, a, it's only a hormone. It's going to last about 18 months. It's just going to shut off one night. You're going to wake up next to a she-bear the next morning. I used to take my seniors to divorce court every year for one day for four hours. I had to get permission from the parents. Where are we going today? Field trip. We're going to the county jail. Going to walk through real quick so you can smell it and see it. And then we're going down to the Tulsa County Courthouse, and I've got a balcony in the courthouse where you can go in and sit and can't talk. And we're going to watch divorce proceedings. We're going to divorce court. We're going to watch it for about four hours today. And what I want you to realize, what you're going to see in here today are words from two people at one time swore their undying love to one another in front of God and witnesses. That's who you're going to see today. And you're going to see hell on earth today because if marriage is a God-made institution, not a man-made institution. If you don't have God in the middle of this, hell's going to bust you up. It's the greatest thing God made outside of salvation, but the devil hates it. He'll bust it up quick if you don't know who you are in him, in whom in Christ. If you're not willing to serve one another, it's not going to make it. So a malnourished soul is the most important thing. People bring counsel, and I've done it. I don't care if you're having money problems. Uh, guys, well, I just don't understand my wife. And these are church people. I just don't understand that. I said, well, give me three scriptures about wives. What? Give me three scriptures that God has about about your wife. There's Bible's full of scriptures about wives. Can you quote me one? I'd like three. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the things established, can you quote me three scriptures about wives? Well, no, but she's she's just a pain. I'm telling you, she's just crazy. No, she's not. You're ignorant. <laughs> you don't know what you're supposed to do. Second thing is, my children come first. That's a lie, but that's what people say. Where's their kids? Now, look at this, and I love this. This is Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. Mm-mm-mm. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Uh, Marriage came first, children came second. You understand that? Uh, I told this last year, Sarah, my oldest daughter, I love dearly, she's a college professor today, but she never got been out of shape much as a kid. She was pretty calm most of the time, but I heard her say something to my wife in the kitchen. I was in the family room, and I could tell by the tone it was not good. And I remember I walked in, I said, what did you just say to your mother? And she looked at me and said, that's between me and mom. I said, no, 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 no. See, see, her and I, we're forever. You're just passing through. You're temporary. You talk to her, you're talking to me. What did you just say to your mother? And she said, I told her, I'm glad when I'm out of here. I said, us too, babe. We're excited about that. We've been planning on that since the day you were born. I mean, it's, it's been our whole goal is to launch you into life. And if you're ready to go, that's exciting because I thought you were going to be around for another couple of years. But if you're ready now, praise God, I'm, you hold on just a minute. And I ran upstairs and I got her suitcase. And I brought it down. I'm not making this up. I said, here, because I'm excited, baby. I'm, t- I'm thrilled. I'm, you ready to go? We're ready for you to go? Praise God. It's so good. And I said, now, what are we going to put in your suitcase before you leave? And it's like, let's see. Well, we can't put any of your clothes in there because I bought everything you got on. So, can't, no clothes. How about shoes? Uh, no, I bought your shoes. And what about your car? Oh, that's not your car. That's my car. Nope, nope. Well, I guess if you're going right now, you're going to go buck naked and barefoot because I own everything you got on. <laughs> so, I'd recommend you stick around for a couple more years. And she did. It worked out really good. 
The minute you put children above your spouse, hell's coming. I don't. I believe in spending time with my kids. I do, but not more time than spending with my wife. Because I've seen more people get divorced after the last kid leaves. Why? Your marriage has been dead for years. You've just been hanging on. You've just been living for the kids. You don't have a life. That's what most people do with their relationship with God. You can go to church. You get busy. You might show up once a Sunday. Are you hanging out with God? Does he know your name? <laughs> do you know his name? It's like it's a relationship. That's why God inhabits praise. He loves to be talked to, sung to. Same thing with your spouse. If you're putting your children in front of your spouse, problems going to erupt. I want my kids to know mama is number one in this house. And we changed about 17 years in our marriage. I lost my wife uh, to my house. She became a housewife. Uh, it dawned on me 17 years in my marriage, my house didn't need a wife. I needed a wife. I want my wife back. So I made my children house children. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. They wash the dishes, do the laundry, mow the grass, clean the carpet. And she's doing my, no, she's my wife. No, I'm, I'm taking her back in the house. You, you live here, you do stuff for the house. And it worked it really good. It really helped them learn responsibility. You know, because the more you do for them, the less, they, the less they appreciate it. Number three, this is really good. No central authority. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. I, men are bad about this. Kids going, Daddy, can I just, I don't know, dear, dear God, just ask your mother. Ask your mother. Uh, and, of course, mom said, I don't know. Ask your dad. Go ask your dad. Well, he told me to ask you. Well, I'm not in church. He's the father. You ask him. Well, dear God, I don't know. Why don't you answer this? Because you're, you're the head of the family. Well, I don't want to be the head. You tell him what to do. I, I make money and I pay bills. You're in charge of the kids. And I don't know how many times I've heard that. And I realize I'm responsible. My name's on them. My name's on the house. My name's on it. Who's responsible? Me. So what's going to happen? I'm going to make decisions. Here's what we're going to do. Now, it took years, guys. I'm taking this real quick, and I'll cover this a little more tomorrow night, but I had to start making some rules for the house. If I'm in charge, we've got to get some order here. This is chaos. we got eight individuals living in one house. This is not working. So I came up with three basic rules. No talking back to mom or dad. No telling a lie. No fighting with your brothers and sisters. You violate one of those three rules, I'm going to bust you. It's legal in Oklahoma. I'm going to bust you good. I'll be like a stealth farmer coming down the hallway. You won't hear me coming. Outside those three rules, I want you to have a wonderful life. I'm going to be like Santa Claus stuck upside down in your chimney. And I got mad at him one day, and I told him, let's see, you think I'm bad? You think I'm bad? Me? Let's see, let me think about this a minute. Let's see. Let's see, who bought you that prom dress? Who did this? Oh, that was me. That's right. Let's see. Let's see, who put the swimming pool in the backyard? I can't even remember who did it. Oh, that was me. Let's see. Who put a tennis court in the front yard? I don't tennis court. My gosh, who's got tennis courts? What we do? Oh, that was me. Let's see, who got your first car? I don't remember who got that car. Where'd that car go? Oh, that was me. And I just got mad, man. I just unleashed for about 20 minutes, just hell on them. I said, next to God, I'm the most powerful thing in your life. I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down your chin. You got a lot of enemies. I'm not one of them. I am not your enemy. Well, I am going to be your father. And so, for example, you know, they'd say, Dad, can we go to so-and-so's house Friday night? I said, no, not if I've not been there first. You don't go to anybody's house I haven't been to first. And sometimes they'd ask them, and I'd been to these people's houses. We knew and said, we're going to have a party. It's going, to, it's, we're going to, it's going to last till 2, and I'll be home about 2.30. I said, no, no, that's not going to happen. Well, you're not going anywhere at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, that's when the party starts at 10 and it goes to 2. I said, well, you won't be there. I said, nobody, no, I just don't go anywhere at 2 o'clock in the morning. I've read a newspaper my whole life. I've never once read about anything good that happened at 2 o'clock in the morning. Stupid things happen at 2 o'clock in the morning. Sun goes down, you go to sleep. Sun comes up, you get up. It's a real simple system, okay? You want to do stuff, do it when the sun's up. Now, that cost me some stuff, but it worked out really good. Same thing about study halls. I didn't let my kids have study halls at school because I went to private school. I'm not paying for you to sit there. I'm not writing checks for nothing. You take a class. You volunteer, you help somebody. And I realized the higher standard you set, the better they seem to perform. The more you let them get away with, the more hell you're going to get because it's a do-or-die kind of a deal. 
Number four, nobody's responsible. I love this one. This is my bathroom scripture. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear there's some of you who are living idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's affairs. So it's like, I remember I go in the bathroom, there'd be towels everywhere and places messed up. I say, hey, 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 who did this? I didn't. It wasn't me. I wasn't, it wasn't me, Dad. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It's like, hmm. So I changed the rules. If I caught the bathroom messed up, I grabbed the last human that came out of it. Well, I didn't leave it the way I found it. Then you're going to leave it better than you find it. That became a rule for my house. Leave things better than you find them. You come out of a kitchen, there's dirty dishes, back in there. Clean those dishes. Those aren't mine. They are now. I catch you in the kitchen. You own everything that's in there. You wipe them off, clean them up, put them in the dishwasher, and turn it on. Leave the bathroom better than you find it. Leave the kitchen better than you find it. Leave the car better than you find it. If you don't leave it better than you find it, you're not getting it again. And you've got to teach responsibility because most kids, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Not my fault. Not my fault. Not my fault. Not my. You're never going anywhere in life. You're going to be a thumb circle until Jesus comes. You'll never get a raise. You're probably going to get fired a lot because you won't do anything extra. So learn to teach about responsibility. And the last one is a great one. This is called no budget. This is great. This is great even with kids. Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. Any enterprise is built by wise planning. Mm, I like that, wise planning. Becomes strong through common sense and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. Now, I've done this for a long, long time. I told my kids every year we sit down. Uh, they're adults now. We still do it at the end of the year. Uh, you're going to do a budget. I, I made my seven-year-old do a budget. We start in John 7. What do you want to do this year? What? What do you want? You want anything this year? You mean like for Christmas, for my birthday? Hmm, just in general, you want anything? I remember he wanted he wanted a, a go kart, you know. And I thought go kart, okay. Well, how we go get that? What? How you plan to get that go kart? Well, I figured you'd buy it. No, that's not going to happen. We get to believe God for it. So get me a picture of a go kart. Find me one, get me a picture, and get it out, and we'll put it in a book. So I got them all a book. So what if you're believing God for? I want to know you're using your faith because you're not using your faith. You're you're like, now we used to breed dogs. We bred best hounds for years. I love dogs. There's always a runt. Always a runt. Mama's milk dries up one day, just shuts off. Spigot's closed, milk's not flowing. Time to put the meat in the kennel. Of course, some dogs, most of them understand it. So they go from sucking off a mama to blah, 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 blah. Well, that used that run. He's not got that yet. He's not understood. I don't know what that meat thing is, that skanky, and they're all fighting over it and stepping in it, and I'm not getting in there. I'm going back to mama. So he'll go back and latch on to mama, <laughs> and mama will bite his head off. And you can hear him. And the kid's dead. What is that? Well, the runt's learning he needs to eat now. He's not planned out his life. He thinks he's going to be able to suck off mama's hind from now on, and it's not going to happen. It's time to grow up. Get your own food. <laughs> you know, your own stuff. And if he's not going to willing to learn, he's going to starve to death. Well, then you're going to do something. I'm not doing nothing. That's the way God made it. He'll trust me. Three days after not sucking on mama, his stomach will turn him into a till of the honey. He'll kill, he'll kill one of his brothers. <laughs> and it usually would happen. He'd, run. He'd come out here. Yeah, man. Gotcha. Now that's good. So I used to tell my kids, if you don't have a budget, you profit wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. According to the U.S. Census, um, they changed it a few percentage points, but basically for the last 10 years, according to the census, 97% of all American adults have no working budget. 97% of all working adults in America have no budget. They don't know how much they owe, how much they own, how much they earn, where it goes. They just know they need more money. God's a God of stewardship. 
Uh, Jesus, before the miracle of feeding the 5,000, Jesus set them down in groups of 50. Knowing you, knowing you exactly how much wood, how long, how tall he needed before he started building that ark. Every miracle in the Bible began with order. Order precedes increase in every miracle. Order precedes increase. The greatest financial miracle you'll ever have is get a budget. Now, the first thing a budget's going to do is scare the snot out of you. Oh, God, we're broke. <laughs> you should have known that before you ever did the budget. Well, it's bad. I know this bad. It's bad. Well, praise God, because once you find the bottom of the barrel, that's where the miracle's going to start to happen. If you don't know where you are, you're not praying about it. What the budget does is make you pray. What do you realize? We need more money. How do you think you're going to get it? You think your company's going to feel sorry for you and give you a raise? You know, we've been fighting over raising the minimum wage. You know, and I'm, I understand. I work for minimum wage. I understand. We'll kick that thing up about $3 an hour. That's good. But if you see how much gasoline is, how much loaf of bread is, the gallon of milk, that really didn't do much for you. Do you really need a bigger vision than getting an extra $3 an hour? Do you really do? And what I realized for my kids, and God's blessed my kids, and they're blessed. Now, they all of us been through tests and trials and gone through stuff. But if you don't know who you are and what you're called to do and take responsibility for yourself, you're going to be a whiner the rest of your life, and it'll fill up the news tonight. You go home watch the news tonight, it's full of whiners. Somebody griping, somebody got cheated, somebody got robbed, somebody got beat up, somebody got stoned. It's me, it's me. I already read that in Jude, Second Timothy, Matthew 24. Jesus already said it. It's going to be hell on earth in the last days. Not us. We're going to be the head, not the tail. Why? We get to believe God. Now, here's the deal. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day and they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. I had two of my kids lose their college scholarships. <laughs> that was an exciting day. You lost it. How did you... How did, did you drop it somewhere? How did you lose it? <laughs> no, the grades weren't good enough. Praise God. You've not been studying? They pay you to study. That's what the scholarship is. They pay you to study. So you've been stealing from them. You've not been studying. <laughs> so we're going to get this back. Of course, we got them, it took a year for both of them, but we got it back. And my son, when he started driving, he just loved to drive too fast. He's the only male I had. and He had three speeding tickets just a little over a month. So I get a call one day from... County Sheriff, then this friend of mine, he said, John, I need you to meet me down here. Bixby, I said, okay. I go down, there's John, they're just talking because the guy goes to my church. We know him, he knows us. And they're, John and him are laughing. He's got John pulled off the side of the road in his new truck. Well, it, well, this is his third speeding ticket, and, you know, in a little over months, and uh, we're going to have to take his license away from him. I said, really? He's a senior in high school. He's captain of his football team. They won a state championship. John's famous. I said, what? He said, yeah, we're going to take his license away. Praise God, it's probably going to be good. I told him to quit speeding. I told you. I, did, I think I told you. And I drove you and told you the speeding limit. That's why there's signs every three miles, speeding limit. I, I told you, but you didn't want to listen to me. So now if you don't listen to me, there's a higher authority that will talk to you. And if you don't listen to them, there's a higher authority of them that will talk to you. Then you've got the county jail, state pen, federal pen, electric chair. It gets, it gets higher. <laughs> Romans 13, God set up authority. And so he said, yeah. I said, well, how long? He said, well, three months. I said, huh, it's his senior year, football season's over. That, that's pretty much going to go to the end of when he graduates. I said, well, praise God. So we had to go down, find out the paperwork, you know, the driver's place. Well, they just changed the law in Oklahoma, and they upped it from three months to six months. Now I want you to know something. When you are captain of your football team and you won a state championship and everybody knows you, it's real humbling when you pull up in front of school in the morning and your mommy's driving you to school. <laughs> You're just sitting there saying, hey, what's going on? My mom has to drive me to school. They took my license away. 
It was real humbling <laughs> for six months. Well, that's been six years ago, and I said last year my son has not had a speeding ticket in six years because it burned it out of him like yeah, the real humbling. Yeah, wait with your girlfriend. Your mommy's driving you in. Hey, my mommy's my mommy's bringing me. You ought to marry me. I'm a real man. <laughs> we don't have a perfect family. We got a real good one. The word's true. Psalm 112. If you fear God, you delight in his commandments, verse 1 through 3, your seed will be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in our house. New Living says this, your children will be successful everywhere. I pray that to God on a regular basis. You promised me if I feared you, and I do, my children will be successful. I don't care what they've done, how stupid they've been, you promised my children will be successful on this planet, and I'm holding you to it. So teach my kids to fear you. I don't have perfect kids, but i got good ones. There's times we had to pick them up, grow them up, <laughs> confront them, sit them down, hug their neck. What do you do? I'm a parent. I just love it. How am I going to be a parent? Well, until I go see Jesus. I'll be a parent when my kids are 60. They're going to deal with stuff at 60. They haven't dealt with They haven't been 60 yet. Hey, Dad, you ever dealt with this? And you're 60? Dad, son, come on over. I'll talk to you about that, and I'll help you out. They don't stop being your children when they turn 18. I don't know who invented that number, but that's a stupid number. Nobody matures at age 18. You can smoke, get drunk, but you're not an adult. <laughs> so let's stand up. We're going to pray. Now listen... I don't, I don't care where your children are tonight or what's going on. God's Word knows no time, no distance. God is a redeemer. God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole. But I do believe it will start with us as parents and grandparents. If you don't know anything else to do from tonight, you do this, Psalm 3411. When you leave here tonight, you ask God to teach your children your grandchildren to fear him. You don't have to light a candle or suck rug or hum or him. You just need to pray the Word of God. So I'm going to say it. You just keep your eyes open and your heads up. And let's just say this together. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, everybody. Heavenly Father. I thank you for your Word. Your Word is truth. It sets me free. It keeps me free. According to your Word, I ask you, teach my children to fear you. Surround my children with divine favor, bring to my children godly friends. I consider it done in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, guys, you can pray that 50 times a day if you want to. I don't care. Whatever the devil brings you to scare you, mess you up, this is never going to work. It's not going to work. Nope. Nope. I fear God. My children, my children, my children are going to fear the Lord. I pray it. Father, teach my children to fear you. God will move mountains to get to your kids. He loves your kids. He wants your kids to do better than you do. He wants your grandkids to do better. So quit letting the devil, well, if we'd only done that, if that hadn't happened, if this hadn't happened, I don't care what happened. I don't care who did what. It doesn't matter if you did stupid. I don't care. You need to repent, repent, forgive, forgive, but God's mercies are brand new in the morning. We get to start all over again. Your seed, your children are going to be mindful on this planet. God promised that, and it's going to start with us. And I'll be honest with you, I get convicted every time God blesses my kids. But, boy, you sure were a good parent. No, trust me, I wasn't that good. This is just God. God's been really good. Now, I was trying, but I didn't know myself. You know, the first one or two kids are guinea pigs. You don't know. I, just, I wrote mine a letter one time. They were, they were in junior high. I'm so sorry for what's happened in your life. I, I didn't know. You know, I tried to do right. I didn't know. So forgive me. 
some of the stuff you're dealing with is my fault. For that, I ask you forgiveness. Some of the stuff you're dealing with is your own stupid fault. You need to deal with that yourself. But I want you to know I love you, and we're going to work this out really good. So uh, he said, somebody was asking, uh, you see your kids often? And if, when, I'm, when I'm in Tulsa, I'll see them every day because they'll always come by the house or by the office. I have a real close relationship with our kids. Now, I thank my wife for that because... Um, She's the confronter. I'm the encourager. I'm, we're almost opposite. I'm almost, I'm almost the female of the family. She's the male. I'm going to hug in, get out the pom-pom, bite some ice cream, tell you it's going to be okay. We're going to pray, and it's going to be okay. Your mom's a confronter. She's a she-bear from hell. She's going to get right in your face, tell you you've been stupid, and show you how not to be stupid again. And it's like, we're a great balance. We just, uh, we're a perfect couple. Don't ever give up on God. The devil's a liar. And I feel it real strong. Some of you are thinking some negative thoughts. The devil's a liar. God's a redeemer. He needs somebody to stand in the gap. That's got to be you. Simple prayer, Psalm 3411. Teach my children to fear you. I'm telling you, angels will get up and stop reading magazines and flap wings, and it's going to work out. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor.